Queer Business Success, the podcast for LGBTQIA business owners, aspiring entrepreneurs, coaches, caregivers, and the allies who love our community. We tell the stories of why our businesses were formed, who we serve, our challenges and successes, and we offer sound advice to our fellow queer entrepreneurs. Our hope is to inspire, enlighten, and highlight the services that our LGBTQIA businesses and allies offer. If we can do this, so can you. We believe that we need more LGBTQIA business owners, not only for our community, but for a better world. Here's our host, Anne-Marie Zanza. Hey, 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 Emery Zanzel here. Just a quick note before we get to our fabulous collaborator for this podcast launch. I am holding a five-day marketing challenge for our heart-centered entrepreneurs like me on Facebook. We will be starting on October 9th, 2023 at 10 a.m. Central Time. It's about how to market your business without selling your soul or using those bro marketing tactics. You can sign up at purposefulempowerment.net. That is purposefulempowerment.net. Hi, this is Amory Zanzel, and welcome back to another episode of Queer Business Success. I'm super excited. I just met someone cool. Her name is Carol Boston, and she owns Carol Boston Coaching, and she is a leadership empowerment coach. Carol's pronouns are she, her, and she identifies as a lesbian. Carol, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you. So can you tell me a little bit about your queer journey? Oh, man, I grew up in the Deep South, Southern Bible Belt, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, af- after college, I married the man I was supposed to marry, the Southern Baptist. That didn't last that long, to be candid with you. But uh, we were actually separated. And a friend of mine, I'm, I'm an ex-collegiate professional tennis player. So I'm an LSU fighting tiger, just mm-hmm. so you know. Mm-hmm. So I was in Baton Rouge and a good friend of mine was tasked with starting a tennis team at uh, Northwestern. She asked me to come help her. So I did. I would travel back and forth and go help her. And um, one time I went up there just to spend, oh, I'll tell you what happened. Oh, you got me thinking now. So I go and I spent the weekend and she was an RA in the dorm as well. And so they had the two like bunk bags on the side of the wall. So she starts telling me, because she had been married, same Christian organization as me, all this, that she was gay. And and I I literally said, oh, you mean if I came over there and got in the bed and snuggled with you, that would do something to you? Like I was clueless. I was clueless. She goes, don't you dare do that. I go, really? Like, I just didn't know. Mm -hmm. Very naive. Mm -hmm. And so uh, another weekend I go up there and we're at a party at a friend of hers house who was the lead softball pitcher on the softball team. And so the party's ending, we played cards and did beer pong or whatever it was. And uh, she comes up to me and she says, let's dance. And I was kind of taken aback. And I'm like, come on, let's just, okay. So I was in a good mood, so we danced. And then she reached up to try to kiss me. And I was like, mm, yeah, no, I'm not ready for that. That's all it says. I'm not ready for that. And I'm going to go to bed. And I don't remember if it was when she came down to visit or something or after that, but that ended up being my, my first girlfriend. How old um, were you? You must have gotten married super young. I was, at that time, I was 27, 27. I got, no, I got married at 24. Mm-hmm. 24. So I was around, I think it was around 27. Yeah. So, you know, it's so funny. I'm smiling because like, like it's so like everything is so cliche, tennis, softball. (laughs) And I'm smiling because it just seems like, you know, a very typical experience of somebody, you know, who's just coming out and you had a very big attachment to sports. 
Oh, uh, yeah. I grew up in between two brothers who um, mm-hmm. I learned how to play tackle football, baseball, and soft. I mean, uh, basketball out in the country at an early age. My dad threw me on a ball team when I was five. They kicked mm-hmm. me off because I said I was too little. So he threw me back on at seven. Mm-hmm. And within about three weeks, I was team captain. And uh, mm-hmm. that started me on my whole leadership. We don't have time for that whole story, but that's really what started me on my whole leadership thing. But I even had people ask me, come on, Carol, there's a lot of lesbians on the tennis circuit. And I said, I didn't know any of them. I said, I didn't go to the parties. I didn't do drugs. I practiced hard, ate healthy, went to bed. That's all I did. Nobody bothered me. I didn't bother anybody else. I I just, I really didn't know until. Yeah. It's once your eyes open, then you see it all around you. When you, you, yeah, when you come out and you finally, I always call it acknowledging my sexuality because my sexuality Mm -hmm. sort of followed followed me around my whole Mm -hmm. life. And so when I finally said, okay, you know, I've got to really go and explore this. And when I finally acknowledged it, it opens your eyes. And all of a sudden, like, and a lot of my clients in my later in life groups, like they, like memories they had where they put in one category, they're Mm -hmm. like, oh, wait a minute. That was a crush on her. (laughs) That wasn't that I admired her or wanted to be like her or wanted to be her friend. I was actually crushing on this woman. You know, they, they, they put things of shame into other categories. Like my Mm -hmm. first experience was with a girl when I was little, um, first, any kind of like sexual play or anything like that was with a girl. And I always had put it in a shame category. But Mm -hmm. then when I came out, I reframed it and I was like, oh, that's pretty normal for somebody who's not straight, (laughs) you know, and, you know, so then it's not in the shame category anymore. It is what it is. It's just there. So tell me a little bit about your background and what you do, Carol. My background is as an ex-collegiate professional tennis player, and I actually got that scholarship. I didn't start playing until I was 15. Wow. It was because I trusted someone else's vision for me until I could believe it for myself. And that's happened three times in my life. So to get a tennis scholarship and then to get from Dallas, Texas to Miami, Florida for a sales career that I knew nothing about. That's a fascinating story about how that person got me to Miami and I needed a job and I kept saying no. (laughs) And it's also how I became a professional speaker. But that's really I was going through divorce. My car caught on fire. Insurance wouldn't pay for it. What do you think I did? I called my dad. He's been in the insurance business forever. Mm-hmm. And he, he says, now, Carol, you know, I ain't that kind of insurance. But if you mm-hmm. come home, you come home. I got somebody to help you get a new car, even if you don't have a job, because I knew I didn't want to be a tennis teaching professional my entire life. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how I ended up in Dallas, Texas, living with my second cousin. She was head of personnel for Neiman Marcus. And she taught me how to buy the Navy suit and the pearls and all that stuff. So that's how I got to Florida. I had a very successful 26-year sales career, uh, large Fortune 100 companies. I love large corporate structure. On record, I miss corporate America. I'm known as the reluctant entrepreneur. Um, I have never heard anyone say they miss corporate America. Oh, my gosh. I did a large keynote talk back in January at Ryder Trucking and Logistics. I got there about 7.15 in the morning. Her assistant comes out to help me. And as soon as I walk through the doors, this is like, they probably have a 200,000 square foot building down in Doral, Florida. Huge. My shoulders dropped. I was like, oh, I could feel it. And I looked at her assistant. I said, oh, I miss corporate America. She goes, you're crazy. <laughs> so I just have to ask, what do you miss about it? Uh, I miss the fact that somebody had the structure for me. I miss the camaraderie. Yeah. Um, I remember a couple, more than once, once when I was at Sprint and another time at Paychex, my boss would say, how did you get them to do that? 
at Sprint, at Sprint, it was these group of engineers. And my boss is like, no, no, no. How did you get them to do that? And I said, I asked them. She goes, no, no, no. Because she had asked them that she got turned down every time. She said, how? And I said, I just asked them. But it was because I built relationships. With them. I, I was the girl that didn't pick up the phone and call across the building to operations. I went over there and spoke to you. Mm-hmm. If I had a challenge. I miss being, a, if you look at my entire history, starting when my dad threw me on a softball team, I've always been an individual contributor who loves being a part of a team. I miss being a part of a team. Mm-hmm. I really, I really, really do. Mm-hmm. I can actually really relate to that because when I was on hospice, I was on a team because, you know, I was a chaplain. There's social workers, nurses, doctors, all those things like that. The, the, um, uh, the aides, which were really mm. my good, you know, really good friends. Um, and I really miss that being a solopreneur. I really miss having, I miss sitting in the break room and talking, yeah. you know, I miss that. So with my own creation with purposeful empowerment, part of that is group coaching, because I feel like we need community. We need to be mm. around people. And I, and I know corporations have realized that with, you know, after the pandemic's been over, you know, ideas flow and creation happens when people are gathered together. And when we're sitting in our Zoom offices and, you know, in our Zoom rooms, um, it can't, it's, it's harder for it to happen. You know, I agree. yeah, it's just harder. So tell me what type of, um, tell me about your business now. What do you do? My business, what do I do? <laughs> I empower women to be the lioness leaders. They were created to be multiplying their income and their profits. So another way I say that is I help women know their value, own their power and advocate for themselves, right? So they rise up and become the lioness leaders they were created to be. I'm really all about personal leadership, but because of my background for 26 years as a sales expert, I definitely help my, many of my clients have doubled and tripled the income in their business. Mm-hmm. But I don't do it like, like the other sales coaches I know. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't. So most of my clients. What, what are, does that mean? Can you tell me what you mean when you say that? Absolutely. So most sales coaches that I know and have worked with, they're like, you know, how many calls did you make? How many people did you talk to? Keep your Excel, you know, that's not who I am. We look at the whole person and the business and we look at a lot of minds. I do a lot of mindset work and mm-hmm. leadership, leadership work. So being known as the queen of reframe. I teach and train on empowering questions, how to get the answers that you really want. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? So for example, real quick, I had a client back in 2018 and I had an office back then. And just for reference, and y'all can write this down, an empowering question never, ever, ever starts with the word why, ever. Mm-hmm. Why brings in the ego, excuse me, brings in defensiveness, brings in the ego, and then brings in emotion, right? When emotion mm-hmm. goes up, intelligence goes down. It's true for every mm-hmm. human being. So this client came to me and she was on time the first time. Then she was a little late. Then she, by the fourth time, she was so late. It was ridiculous. Now, most people would have said to her, what? Why are you always so late? You're not going to ever get the answer you want by asking why ever. So she comes in, I give her a hug and I sit her down. I said, get out your pen and paper. We can't miss this coaching opportunity. And I said, the first thing I want you to write down is how I do anything is how I do everything. So she did. And the second thing I said to her is write this down. Where else in your life are you not showing up for you? And she said, what? I said, write it down. I said, you pay me in advance for my time. I'm not giving you money back. And I'm not going to give you extra time because I have a schedule of clients that I keep. Write it down. So she writes it down and she says, is that my homework for the week? I said, honey, that's your homework ad nauseum. I want it on your refrigerator, your dashboard, your car. And I want you to set the intention at least six to eight times a day. Say it out loud to God in the universe and go right back to what you're doing. 
Will you mm-hmm. do that consistently? And she said, yes. Fast forward, I don't know if it's six weeks, eight weeks, whatever it was in my six month program. All of a sudden, one day her eyes flat, just wide open. And I said, what's up? She said, that's another place I'm not showing up for me. Exactly. So see, we create an empowering question to bring the awareness to her. And as she began to have these awarenesses, we were able to replace those habits that weren't serving her with good leadership habits and tools. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So before we got on the call today, we were talking about how you work with women who are heart-centered entrepreneurs. Yes. And and people who are heart-centered, and I'm one of them, really struggle with the sales part of their business. And I often with my own clients normalize that because if you are heart-centered, you struggle with sales. So you said you have some tips for people who, and I'm really curious what your tips are, who are heart-centered and don't want to be salesy and what they should do. May I digress for just a quick second before that? Because sure, you, you, you said a word that, that triggers me with my clients. They say, they sure. say I, I struggle with sales. I struggle, struggle. So this is what I have them do. I say, write this down, right? Struggle is optional. Struggle is a habit. And I struggle because I'm addicted to my story. So we get to look at what story is underneath the struggle that's keeping them addicted in that struggle. I help my clients and I teach and train on this three ways to reframe sales. The first one is, and first off, we do a lot of deep work to understand where did they have a bad sales experience? They've now assigned this negative experience across the board to salespeople. And um, I even say this in my talks. I say, how many of you heard that love makes the world go round? Everybody raises their hand. I'm like, no, it doesn't. I don't believe that. Sales makes the world go round. Love makes the ride worthwhile. Mm -hmm. So I help them reframe sales in three ways. The first one is sales is service. Sales is service. So if you have something that you Mm -hmm. know that you can help somebody with and you don't share it with them, you are doing them a disservice, Mm -hmm. which puts you in direct conflict with what? Being a heart-centered coach. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You you don't want to be in disservice. So we work on that mindset shift. Mm -hmm. Another way is that sales is a transference of inspiration. People don't want to be sold, but they want to be inspired, right? Mm -hmm. They want to be inspired. Just like you probably have gone to a movie or you've gone to a dinner at a restaurant. You enjoyed it. You came back, told eight or 10 of your friends, and they all went. You just made eight sales. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just transferring your inspiration. So we get to look at their energy and how they show up in these sales calls. Are you inspired about what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, And we work through that. And then the third way is I have a seven-step process that I teach them called the art of enrollment. Mm -hmm. My overarching umbrella is that leadership is sales and sales is leadership. Mm -hmm. And in every conversation we have, you're either either getting enrolled in somebody else's vision or you're enrolling them in yours, right? Mm -hmm. And so often what happens to heart-centered people in the sales call is they get enrolled in that person's story about why they don't have the money or why they don't have the time. They get enrolled. Mm -hmm. So we want to master the art of enrollment. And it's a seven-step process that I take them through to teach them. When you're in front of the right client, they enroll themselves before they ever sign on the dotted line. Yeah, absolutely. So how long have you been doing this, Carol? I'm curious. Uh, Full-time on committed since January of 2018. So about five and a half years. What do you like about it the most? Watching women rise up and know their value, own their power, and advocate for themselves. Like, for example... um, One of my clients back from 2018, I used to have an office at the very end of a long hallway and there was a reception area. So I went up to the reception area to get her. And as we're walking to my office, I thought to myself, she is my ideal client. People Mm -hmm. are like, how did did you know that? 
I said, because she kept walking just a step or two behind me. Mm -hmm. And every time I slowed down so that we could be equals, she would get uncomfortable and she'd walk a step behind me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Being a female family lawyer, and I've worked with several, they, every single one of them, one of their common challenges was they only feel qualified in the courtroom because somebody gave them a certificate and told them they were good. They don't understand that you can have a voice outside of the courtroom and that Mm -hmm. you don't have, you don't have to be certified to be qualified. Mm -hmm. So I love it when they, they, they get comfortable with their no and they don't have to give somebody a story. I have one client, amazing. She adapted that so quickly, young. She called me, she lived in New York city at the time on the third floor of a five floor walk up. Mm -hmm. And she's like, she sent me a text. Oh my God, you helped me so much last night. Can I talk to you? I'm like, okay. So we get on the call. She'd been out on a date. He walked her to the bottom stairs, right? And he kind of looks at her and says, so am I coming up or are you coming to my place? First date, true story. And she said, Carol, in the past, I would have hemmed and hawed because I didn't want him to not like me. It was important that he'd like me. And I would have made up some lines. And she goes, I just looked at him and I said, no. Mm-hmm. And he, he said, what do you mean? No, she goes, you're not coming up and I'm not going with you. I'm going to say goodnight. She said it was the most empowered she had ever felt. Yeah. So just, just knowing that, because I don't know about you, but in the deep South, we're raised up to do what? Smile pretty. Oh, don't make waves. Oh, I'd love to talk to you about that because (laughs) I find that with my later in life women, um, the people that are the women that are raised in the deep South have the hardest time or live raised in the South. Absolutely. We were having a discussion once and it's, and they share their stories. And and one of them was talking about how one time she was choking on a piece of steak at a restaurant and she ran to the bathroom so that she could try to clear it out because she didn't want to make anybody uncomfortable at the table. And, and, you know, that my wife, you know, we were talking about her beforehand. She's been an out lesbian for years. She still has the Southern girl in her. I wasn't raised. <laughs> I was raised in the Northeast. I, I don't have those, those. I don't, I just don't have them. Um, but she really, really struggles with advocating for herself. Like if she's like sent a contract out and forgotten something, she won't go back and say, Hey, you know, I just wanted to, you know, she was like, Oh, I've done this. Like, I can't, I can't bother them and stuff like that. And I'm like, dude, you can, you you know, it's not signed yet. You can go and say, Hey, I need to make an amendment. And she, exactly. He will not do that. I have Mm. a question for you. How did you become such a good observer of body language? Because a lot of people would miss that, that stepping behind, like I'm, I became a really good observer of body language because I grew up in, in a chaotic household and children that grow up in chaotic mm. households have to read the body language of their adults around them. And so I have become, I became an expert at reading body language. And then when I became a chaplain, I became an expert at asking if what I was reading was, you know, what was correct, because just because I think somebody's feeling this way or you know, moving as, you know, are, as having an experience doesn't mean it's true. I, I check in with people and saying, so I, I, I sense that there's some anxiety going on or something like that. And they can either tell me yes or no. And whatever they tell me is true. So how did you become such a good expert at that? Like, where did like, you know, Jen, is it from your sales career or from another piece of your life? I have never been asked that question. My brain is going spinning. Like I have no idea. Maybe it's a gift. 
It yeah. could be from, from sales. You know, I tell people, had I known how to craft truly empowering questions back in my sales career, you and I wouldn't be talking because I'd be retired, right? Right. Yeah. right. I'd, have made, I'd have made even more money a lot faster. And that's how I help people also in sales is with empowering questions. But I wouldn't say that I grew up in a super chaotic household, but my dad would say to us, don't go tell your mother. We don't want to upset your mother. So mm -hmm. we were walking on eggshells a lot. Yeah. So perhaps that helped me become more observant. And then, yeah, maybe it's in my sales career. I, I, I don't have a straight answer for you. Well, that's okay. I was just curious. So what's the biggest challenge for you in your business? I would say marketing. I, I learned that sales and marketing are very different. So marketing to have a consistent flow of high quality lead generation. It's not that I don't get leads, right? Uh, but mm -hmm. high, high quality lead generation, I think from marketing language, like just last month for the first time I started uh, doing webinars, I'm going to do a webinar every month. So I'm working on that. Uh, unleash the lioness leader within. So that I think that's the biggest piece for me. And I was challenged to create my own structure and follow my own rules. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I was in a very intensive leadership program last year for about four and a half months that I learned that about myself, that that was one of the things I loved about corporate America. Guess what? They told me what to do. Here's your structure. Here's your services. Here's your quota. Go make it work. But I had the structure and the parameters. And I think I also had the accountability. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was also in a competitive environment. It's not nearly as much fun competing with myself as it was competing <laughs> with other people. Yeah. Right. So it's just, it sounds like, you know, this is so normal, right? It sounds like that you, you know, like a lot of us, that goal setting and, and what's the word I'm trying to look for that accountability to ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to be accountable. Account That's why a lot of times people look for coaches because yes. they, they struggle with being accountable to my your, ourselves. Right. And so that's what I'm hearing from you as well, is that this accountability phase of like, you know, getting things done. Is yep. that what I'm hearing? Yeah. You struggle with that. That's the hardest. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And marketing. I think marketing is, it, it, it's, it's hard and finding the right client. And so who is your ideal client? Do you want to work with people from corporate America that are getting our, or do you prefer to work with people that are building their own businesses? That's a great question because when I started out, my clients were all entrepreneurs, most of them solopreneurs. I think I've only worked with one that had 10 employees. <clears throat> most of them were solopreneurs. But just recently, I've had a couple of clients from large corporations and they really are ideal clients. So mm -hmm. I think that's a challenge for me is clarity in my marketing and, and who I'm going after. I would tell you an ideal client of mine, majority, own their own business. They've been in business at least two to three years. They're making a little bit of money and they're, they're just stuck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Here's the thing. <clears throat> My next book is going to be called, You Can't Read the Label When You're Inside a Jar. And we're all in a jar. Mm -hmm. So I tell them, but I can read your label and I can help you write a new label so you can throw an anchor into your future and let go of that story that's holding you in the past. Because I find out that that's often the biggest challenge. They have this idea of who they're supposed to be based on how they were raised, who told them, whatever. And so they don't know who they were truly created to be. And I help them step into that. Most of my ideal clients have either been in therapy before um, or they've done personal development work. So they're open. Mm -hmm. And I take people through a process. I don't take on just any client. Um, I take people through a process. I learned one time, this is before, right before COVID, one of my past uh, very successful lawyers sent me a referral. 
And uh, I didn't take her through my normal process. She was referral, blah, 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 right? The first month of COVID, I fired her. Three months mm-hmm. in, I was like, you got to go. Like not an ideal client. So I learned my lesson that there's a process that I follow. Well, and also too, learning to say no. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that has been really interesting because working now with the coach that I'm working with currently saying no, it's like trusting that the right people will come my way and not coming from a place of lack. Because a lot of times when you get really anxious about your business and you're not making enough sales, going into a place of lack, like, oh, I'm just going to take this person on because, you know, I need the money or I should do this or something like that. And they're totally not the right fit for you. But like, I'm going to say trusting in the universe when you're going through that type of transition in your business, it's really hard. It's really hard. It's I'm because that's where I am right now. And yeah. I'm transition phase. And I'm going to be really honest. If I had not gone through the coming out phase that I went through where everything in my life changed and I went from my comfort zone through my fear zone mm-hmm. and into the learning zone and into the growth zone. When I went through all of that and came out of it, the other side and was successful in going through all of that, I realized I could do anything. And so that's when I built my first business and so mm-hmm. my comfort zone, I went through my, you know, I did comfort zone, fear zone, learning zone, growth zone, and I've done that. And now I'm starting in this business, business um, coaching. And I am like, I have vowed to be vulnerable about it and not pretend everything's fine because it's not. It's not. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I, because, and I think people need to hear that because when they hear business podcasts, they always just hear about how successful people are. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of hard work that goes into this. And so one of the things though, is I'm not fearful. Mm-hmm. I know that I just have to get through this part and I'll be okay. But it's just like the fear, fear is not debilitating me, but it's pissing me off that it's taking so long. <laughs> you know? Just like, okay, I know what I'm doing. What's going on here? So, so what is the lesson? <laughs> what is the lesson? Gosh, darn universe. What's the lesson? <laughs> well, you know, one of the things uh, I would just share with you that I share with the others is that fear and faith are very, very similar. Mm-hmm. They both, they both cause you to believe in something that you can't see mm-hmm. and something, something that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. So I tell my clients and people, when I give talks is that fear is your faith that you've turned in the wrong direction. Fear is your faith that you've turned in the wrong direction. direction. Right. You're, you're so what you're saying. So when you're in your comfort zone, and um, you turn you turn your fear, your faith into the, that I should be staying in this place because of X, Y, and Z. Is that what you're saying? That this is what I'm supposed to do? No, um, actually, I get my clients and myself to take the word shouldn't, shouldn't out of our vocabulary because it's always okay. about to make wrong. Mm-hmm. If, if you tell me I should do something and I choose not to, you say, see, I told you you're wrong, right? So it's, it's, about, it's about to make wrong. It's really all, all about standing in the power of choice for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, operating at level one in the four levels of responsibility and leadership, mm-hmm. um, knowing that we're, we're choosing. Mm-hmm. So you, you asked me earlier, what's one of the things I love about my clients when they become in power? Because only when you own that you're choosing, can you then make a different choice? Yes. So if I say I'm staying here because I have to, that's a lack word. I need to. That's a lack word. I must. That's a lack word. 
I get to stay here. Mm-hmm. Now you're empowered. You made a choice. Right. And it creates a completely different energy mm-hmm. in the moment and, and in the long term. So what I'm saying is, is if fear and faith are both very powerful mm-hmm. and they take, they take energy and they take concentration. Mm-hmm. If you're concentrated on your fear, you've taken the, the concentration energy from your faith and you just turned it in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you take that and trust in the process, whether you believe in God, the universe, whatever it is, whatever you call it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you asked me earlier, we were chatting and I might ask you, Carol, what's one thing you would tell everybody at the end? I said, I believe that God only gave me a lamplight for my feet. My job is to take the next step and trust in the process. Mm-hmm. Just take, take the next step. But the thing is, that's key for, for our clients, both of our clients is taking the next step without judgment, mm-hmm. being, able, being able to take the next step and celebrate. So I get my clients to tie in celebration from a neurolinguistic programming perspective for the littlest things. You probably do it too, mm-hmm. because as we do that, even for the littlest things, we get more and more and more to celebrate more and more. Right. My, uh, one of my old coaches, did, well, I've been, I've had two coaches, my first coach, she did that a lot. And I do that with my clients in the last week, last, the last meeting of the month, we do a 15 minutes of writing down everything they've accomplished because a lot of times you feel like you're stuck. And then when you look at your list of all the stuff you've accomplished over the last month, you're yeah. like, wait a minute, I'm actually moving forward, you know, you know, so and, and I, yeah. And, you know, I just had like a brainwave that like, you know, I might do it with my later in life people because a lot of times they feel really, really stuck and mm-hmm. because they do have to make some serious decisions about their lives. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they can't see the forward progress that I made. So I think I might do that next week with them. So thank you, Carol. You're um, welcome. What's your biggest success? What are you most proud of? In my life or in my business? Um, In your business. In my business, I would say trusting in the process uh, and and trusting in someone else's vision for me that I could be a keynote speaker because it's allowed me to touch more lives more quickly across the board. And it's opened my eyes and I love the intimacy of one-on-one coaching. So I've been resistant to group. Now I'm going to be moving into that because what does that do? It allows me to touch more lives and have a greater impact than they have a ripple impact. So for me, I would say stepping into that, that's an amazing story about how that happened. I don't know how much time we have if you're interested. I'd love to hear it. I'm sure our uh, audience would too. So it was in December of 2017. In October of 2014, I took an opportunity with a small company, not a Fortune 100. They doubled my base salary plus commissions, gave me a director title. I could just see the potential. The real short version is six weeks into this job, while I was on vacation, I was staying in touch with my boss, the CEO, and I got an email asking my opinion for something. So I replied. 12 hours later, ding, there goes my phone. Carol Boston, you've got mail. I will never forget it. It said, Carol, comma, that's what you really think? And it had five question marks behind it. Then it said, do not come into this office on Monday. When your vacation is over, you are done here. Wow. Wow. You must my- have been stunned. I First was. of all, look- how unprofessional. Sorry. <laughs> just- I was. I looked at my girlfriend and I said, did I just get fired? I'm like, I don't get fired. She goes, you got fired in an email for an opinion you were asked for. <laughs> now, one of the reasons I love helping my female clients advocate for themselves is because in 2014, I didn't do it. I assumed, well, Florida's an at-will state. I thought, God, I guess I can get fired for anything. I have no idea. And I came back and I um, had an interview the very next day. And I interviewed all over this country. I spent my entire 401k looking for a job. 
Some companies flew me back and forth three and four times to crickets. And I thought, how, how ironic that I can sell. (laughs) Well, I I said, how can I sell $70 million worth of revenue in corporate America? And I can't close a deal to get myself a job. Mm -hmm. Now, faith is my foundation and that's where I go. So I was basically all transparency, yelling at God in my prayer time. I'm like, look, you created me. You know, I'm not cut out to be an entrepreneur. I do not want to own my own business. Could you please help me find a good job? two weeks to the day from that prayer out of the blue, I get an email from a woman that I met one time out of town at a business conference. I bet she and I didn't talk 30 minutes at that conference. She gifted me a $3,500 ticket to go to Los Angeles to go to guerrilla business school. Mm -hmm. So I said, Oh my God has a sense of humor too. So off I went. And the very first thing I learned is going to be the title of my next book, right? You can't read the label when you're inside a jar and we're all in a jar. Mm -hmm. And then I learned about empowering questions and I was determined to master them. And that's what's led eight years later to be becoming the queen of reframe. But let me tell you how in resistance I was, you know, myself included years ago and all of my clients have a hard time separating their who from their do. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do it. I was in my jar. All I could see is that I was a buttoned up corporate sales professional. That's all I could see. Mm -hmm. Two and a half years. I kept looking for a job. Two and a half years. I had two coaching certifications, two and a half years. And one big thing happened, uh, and I give credit to Lisa Nichols. I don't know if you know who she is. Mm-mm. Do you? Mm-mm. No, I don't. Motivating the masses. She's amazing. She's one of only two black females um, on Wall Street, mm-hmm. CEOs on Wall Street. She's amazing. Anyway, what I learned was there was a big difference between being committed to something and being convicted to do it. Because people decommit every day, don't they? They say, I'm in this marriage for life until the day I'm not. Mm-hmm. She said, she said, but when you're convicted, you will not rest until you get it done. And you understand that your comfort and your convenience and your conviction don't live on the same block. They're not even in the same zip code. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this happened at the exact same time. I had a meeting at Nova Southeastern University, early December, 2017. And even though I had these coaching certifications, what was I still doing? Oh my God. I had three products that I was still trying to sell into HR of corporate America. Couldn't get out of my own way. I present these things. And this lady knew I had you know, gotten the coaching done. And we walk across campus and she stops and she looks me up and down. She says, I know what I'm going to do for you. I said, what? She says, I'm going to hire you. I said, to do what? She said, to speak. I said, to speak. She goes, don't give me that bullshit. You're a speaker. And I said, who am I going to speak to? She said, I'm going to put you in front of 55 or 60 of the top HR executives in South Florida. And my brain went, oh my God, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And I said, when am I going to, this is December the 9th, 2017. I said, when am I going to do that? And she said, "Uh, March. And I said, how long am I speaking for? She goes, 90 minutes. And I went, 90 minutes. She goes, (laughs) don't give me that. Send me your CV and your fees. My fees? Like what? Do you know that never, like to get a break in this, to the speaking business is very difficult. And it literally was handed to you. How amazing. Let me tell you what happened. Because you just said something a minute ago that is so true. The right people are always in the room. We get to trust in that. The right people are always in the room. I had an office. I got rid of those other three services. I became committed to being a coach. A lady in that office was a a content writer. So she starts helping me because it had to pass SHRM certification. They were going to, these HR were going to get CEUs. So as, 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 People say luck would have it as God would have it. It got moved from March to August the 9th, which was a beautiful thing. 
Because I also met another lady from HR and she wanted me to give a workshop for Kaiser University, a different workshop. So on August the 2nd, I gave my first ever 90 minute workshop for free at Kaiser. And then one week later, I walk into Nova Southeastern University, quarter seven in the morning. Now there was another lady who was speaking before me, French Canadian. She had written a book. Well, I think she wrote more than one, to be honest, but she had written one on the brain. And so they told me we paid her more money because she wrote a book. I didn't care. Now she had like 19 titles behind her name, LCSW, PhD. But, and then there was yeah. me, Carol Boston. <laughs> so I walk in this big room and this booming voice, folks, I'm not making this up. This booming voice goes, Carol Boston, really loud across the room. And the lady who hired me goes, do you know him? She goes, Barry, do you know Carol? And he looked at her and he said, Carol is the only reason I came to your event today. I thought, wow. oh my God, the pressure. <laughs> But how Barry wonderful. I, yeah, Barry and I had worked together for more than a decade at AT&T in the 90s. Mm -hmm. So I decided I would go help this other speaker set up. So I'm helping her set up and very nice, good, like I say, lovely French-Canadian accent. She says, so Carol, how long have you been on the circuit? And I just looked at her. What circuit? She goes, oh, the speaking circuit. And I start laughing. <laughs> And I said, oh, I'm not supposed to tell you. It's a secret. And she goes, no, no, no. Come on, tell me. I said, last week was my first and this week is my second time. And she looked at me like either Nova had lost their mind or I had lost my mind. So I don't know this woman from Adam. She had a bad day. She just had a bad day. I guess it happens. I mean, there were people at my table going, can we just take a nap? It was, she just lost the room. Mm -hmm. I went out of the room, went to the restroom, and I'm outside stretching, getting ready for my time. Well, the lady, you would have to know her. She had, if she likes you, the lady who hired me, she has no, no space boundaries. She mm -hmm. grabs me by the shoulder. She's in my face, and she goes, you are going to increase the energy in the room. I go. She's screaming at me. Oh, my goodness. And I said, of course I am. I'm just not sure 90 minutes is enough time for my content. <laughs> and she goes, we want content. You're not using those damn slide things. Or, nope, no slides. So I go in, I start to set up. Who do you think walks up behind me? Barry Johnson. Mm -hmm. I turn around and he goes, I trust you're going to be better than she was, aren't you? Talk about pressure, right, folks? Mm -hmm. So my first lesson I learned as a professional speaker is make your own time cards. Mm -hmm. The lady who hired me said, when do you want to be notified? And I told her, she said, I'll do that. So it comes time to see my first time card. And she wrote it with a bit pen on a little piece of paper all the way across the room. I couldn't read it. So just from stage, I said, yeah, I can't read that. And so she <laughs> says, she says 30 minutes. My brain says, mm -mm, that can't be right. So I got everybody involved in an exercise to embed the learning. And I said, Tanya, we started 15 minutes late. I get 45 minutes. She goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll fix that. Now I go back. I'm having a blast. And so I'm not paying any attention to time. She goes to the back of the room and right in front of me at the very back of the room next to my best friend who was taking video. And she holds up another time card. Now, everybody in the room laughs, which was really kind of awesome because I couldn't read it. Well, they both spoke at the same time. And I thought they said three minutes. And my three minutes is what I thought. And I go, give me four and I'll wrap this up. So I wrap it up and everybody's stepping up, clapping, clapping, clapping. I'm thinking, this is awesome. This woman makes a beeline for my ear. And she says, I didn't say three minutes. I said 30 minutes. Sit them down and teach them something. They're getting CEUs. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, everybody, this is awesome. We've got time for question and answer. And sit back down. 
So one of the things I say when I'm talking, if I think I'm dropping a golden nugget that I want them to remember, I'll say, now that's a writer downer. Yes. So here I am in this last 30 minutes and there's a lady at the front table and she goes, oh, that's a writer downer. And I said, yeah. And the first thing I thought in my head was, damn, these people are actually listening to me like mm-hmm. they're listening. Mm-hmm. So when it was all said and done, um, there were three women who had heard me the week before at Kaiser who told me that that last 30 minutes, it was a God thing. You were so in your element. Mm-hmm. And this, this lady walks up to me and she says, you've got to come teach this to my people. And I said, who are your people? And she says, I'm vice president of HR for American Express. She said, do you have a business card? And I said, yes. She never even told me her last name. I said, do you have a business card? And she says, no. Now, what do you think my salesperson's brain did? I'll never hear from her again. It's a salesperson's job to follow up. Then I quickly reframed it. I'm the queen of reframe. No, no, the right people are always in the room. Always. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This was August the 9th. September, my phone rings and I ended up getting hired to speak six times at American Express in 2019. Wonderful. Because I trusted the process. And that's my encouragement to the people that are listening. Take the next step and trust the process. What a great story. And I'm really grateful that you shared it with us today. I really appreciate it. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about it after we go off air, because I have to wrap up right now. But how can people find you? Oh my gosh. Uh, Carol, you can email me, Carol, C-A-R-O-L. I'm like a Christmas Carol, no E at the end. Um, Carol at carolboston.com. If you use the at sign, at T-H-E, at the Carol Boston, we'll get you to my Facebook page, my Instagram, my Twitter, um, and my you can book a call with me on my website, www.carolboston.com. Love to talk with you. Well, Carol, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was a great conversation. I can't wait. I'm going to go back and listen and take some of your writer downers. (laughs) (laughs) And may I quote you on them as I post them to my page? Because I'm a social media queen. So I'm going to use some of them because these are great. So thank you so much, Carol. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Blessings. You've been listening to Queer Business Success, the podcast that highlights LGBTQIA businesses. New episodes are published regularly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other listening platforms. Wherever you're listening, take a moment to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Are you an entrepreneur who's also queer? Want to share some of your wisdom and experience with the rest of us? We'd love to have you on the show. Just click the link in the show notes to apply to be a guest. Until next time, queer friends and allies, keep taking care of business.